It's good to see you back at church tonight. Uh, sitting there, and I, my leg had just about gone to sleep. And uh, I said, I got to stand up and walk to the pulpit, right? And you get that tingly feeling in your leg, you know, and I made it, didn't I? So uh, thanks for, you almost may have gotten to see something funny. I don't know. But First uh, Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to find ourselves uh, here with our main text tonight. First Peter chapter 2. And uh, <clears throat> we almost had another little oopsie there. I was looking over my notes just before church, and Miranda popped in and said, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you didn't interrupt me. I just was correcting myself because I put Second Peter in my notes. But if we went and read this in Second Peter, it wouldn't make any sense in regards to the notes that I have for tonight's uh, lesson. So uh, we'll be in First Peter chapter 2. This morning we talked about you know, the fact that now that we're in this post-election cycle, and really every day, whether it's a post-election cycle or building up to an election or just in the middle when there's really, well, no, has anybody announced for president in 2020 yet? Well, they will be in the next week or so. So anyway, we're always in this, this uh, election cycle, so to speak, right? But here's the thing. We're never to stop praying for our leaders. We talked about that this morning. We're never to stop praying for uh, those in positions uh, within our government who are influencing policy on a day-to-day basis, whether we like the person or not. We looked over in 1 Timothy this morning where, where Paul writes as inspired by God, that we are to pray for those who are in those positions of authority on this earth. So this morning we talked about that, and we talked, so we talked about the action that we're to take. Tonight I want to look here in First Peter at the attitude we're to have. And so, you know, it's, it's important to make sure our attitude is right as well, isn't it? We need to make sure we have the right attitude as we look at our leaders and those who are in positions of power, our attitude towards them, whether, whether they're of the same political persuasion that we are or not, or whether we even know what their political persuasion is, which we're finding out. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of uh, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not, use, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to be back here tonight. I pray that you would speak through me tonight and that we would uh, just uh, learn more and more about you and we'd learn more and more about how to follow you and follow your will as it relates to our government. I pray that we never cease to pray for those in positions of, of, of power within our government and I pray that our hearts and our attitudes 
would be always as your will would have them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't forget the context behind 1 Peter. Remember what's going on. Peter is writing to the Christians in Rome who are to undergo undergoing just intense persecution, even stronger persecution coming. Why? Because Nero's using them as a scapegoat. Remember, he's the guy with the big ego who burned down Rome so he could build bigger buildings, and when the people got mad, he said, well, uh, they must have done it. The Christians must have done it. And so he's using them as a scapegoat. So they're undergoing intense persecution from their government, persecution that we could never even begin to imagine because these people are losing everything. They're having to walk away from everything, generations of things. They're having to flee and leave everything that their family has ever accumulated behind because they're just trying to escape the persecution of the emperor, literally walking away from everything. And sometimes we groan because of the persecution that we may face as Christians in the United States, which is really nothing compared to what these people were facing. But, you know, yet in spite of everything they were going through, yet in spite of everything that was to come, Peter never told them, never gave them permission to bash the government. He never gave them permission to try to overthrow Nero. Instead, he said, you got to have the proper perspective and the proper attitude. And that's what we want to look at tonight. So to keep all of this in context, in order to get to our proper attitude, which we're going to get to, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's to have a proper attitude of submission to the government, submission to those who are in authority. But in order to get to that proper attitude, we've got to remember our context in the entire situation. Just as, as Peter points out to his readers. There in verse 11, he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. So first of all, he reminds them that, as the songwriter said, this world is not their home. They're just a passing through, right? You've got to add the just a passing through. It's not just passing through. It's just a passing through. That's the way the Gaithers sing it, and I guess that's the way it's written. We're just passers-by. We're just temporary residents. And you know how people treat foreigners? You say, oh, I don't. You get on an airplane and let someone of Middle Eastern descent get on and come sit down beside you. Now, some of us laugh. I said, oh, I know where you're going with that. Well, how do we think about foreigners? We think about foreigners a lot of times in a negative light, people who are not like us, people who may be temporary residents or resident aliens around us. You know, having worked at SAU during this recent influx of Indian students, we looked up one day, literally, like the university administration looked up one day, and there's like 200 coming to enroll in the graduate program. The next semester, here comes 300 more. You know, before we know it, I think now in about four semesters, SAU's got nearly 1,000 Indian students. And there's a story behind where they're all coming from and everything. But there's the thing is, there's a lot of students from India. These are not like Native American Indian students. These are... Indian students from India. 
and to hear how some people refer to them. Oh, you know what? The Indian students. You know, I want to say these are cash customers. Okay, come on, people. You know, I was a development officer, so I got to go out and I was visiting with alumni and to hear how some alumni talk about these foreign students who we have. We have a negative view of foreigners. We think about, I mentioned the, the, the kind of the Islamophobia with the airplane thing that I mentioned just a minute ago. In a lot of our society, people who are not from here have to work so much harder than we do just to get by when there's no real reason other than the fact that we look down on foreigners because they're not like us. You know, there's another term for that, and uh, people don't like this word. The word is racism. We often think that racism just has to do with the black-white issue, but it goes so much bigger than that. And for the Christian, there's no place at all for racism. I've heard some people who claim to be Christians to talk so bad about black people, not calling them black people, but other things in very harsh terms, talking about people of other races. And there's no place for that in the Christian life. Because you know what? We, too, are foreigners. We, too, are completely out of place. We, too, are guests at somebody else's house. And Peter reminded his readers of that and reminds us of it, that we are just temporary residents. And we have to keep that in context as we check our attitude towards our government and towards our government officials and our our leaders. And we've got to be ready because people are going to treat us differently because we as Christians are foreigners in this world. And so in that context, as we look to our attitude of submission, look what he says in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself because you're just a temporary resident. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, let's, let's stop and realize that where it says every ordinance of man does not mean every single law that's passed. Because, you know, there's a lot of laws out there that they go against my moral compass, they go against the way I believe. That's, he's not talking about you have to submit to every law. That term ordinance is referring to institutions, that make the laws and enforce the laws. And so as a Christian, I am to submit myself to the institution that is the United States. I'm to submit myself to the institution that is the state of Arkansas and the laws that go there and and to Columbia County or wherever I am. I'm I'm to submit myself to those institutions When a police officer pulls me over, I follow the advice of my grandfather. You never argue with a police officer or a judge. You will not win. You submit yourself to their authority. And then you go through, if you feel like you've been done wrong, we're blessed in the United States, there's a process to go through. 
Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, as we fall into submission to those, those organizations, those ordinances, those institutions, we give them what is due to them, and as Christians, we owe them respect. Here's kind of the way I read this passage. If I can give you the, this, I've been reading out of the New King James Version. Now we'll go out of the Jeremy Interpretation Version. Here's the way I read it. You're at somebody else's house. You're a guest. Be a gracious guest. That's how we as Christians are to live in the world. Do you act the same way at somebody else's house as you do at your house? I have a great aunt and uncle, a couple of sets of them that live up in Little Rock, and Mary and I were staying with one set uh, back. It's been several years ago now, and, and uh, we had to be in Little Rock for early the next morning, and we were staying with, with my great aunt and uncle, and, um, you know, we did things differently there than we would do at our own house. They got ready to go to bed, and, you know, I mean, we may have stayed up later, but we don't want to keep them awake by watching TV or something, you know, so what do we do? Well, we move on back to the bedroom we were assigned. The next morning, we get up. Now, we had to be gone before they even got up. They called us later and said, we didn't think y'all were ever going to get out of the bed. We didn't realize you were gone. They just thought we were still in their sleep. Look at these lazy millennials or whatever. We're not really millennials. Look at these lazy 20-something-year-olds. I'm not that anymore either. But anyway, so here's, you know what else we did? We got up that next morning. Now, this doesn't happen every morning at our house, you know. You know, we got jobs, a three-year-old. We got up that morning at my aunt and uncle's, and we made the bed. We left there, it was, you know, it's like smooth, the bed was made, there were no dirty clothes in the floor. You act differently when you're at somebody else's house, don't you? You treat it with a little more respect. You think that way. Peter's saying that's, that's the way you're to live here because you're a guest at somebody else's house. What's gonna, what would have happened had we left my great aunt and uncle's house, and I mean, they would have been nice about it if we'd have left the bedroom in a mess, hadn't made up the bed, we left dirty clothes, dirty towels on the floor. They'd have probably never said a word to us about it. Matter of fact, they'd have probably said, next time you're in town, make sure you stop back by and stay with us. But you know what they said to other people or to their brothers and sisters or to, other, to each other? Those slobs. Their mothers sure didn't teach them well. That's, you see, the, the blame wouldn't have probably been put on us as much as it had been put on our upbringing. I had a teacher in high school that said, you people don't have any home training. Peter says, the world shouldn't look at you and blame your father for the way you act. But you know what? What we do, because we bear his name, if we are Christians, everything we do is a reflection of him. And what we think of him and what we think of his values. So Peter says, be a gracious guest because what you do reflects him. And he didn't teach you to act that way. So when you... Or keep, when you're doing all that, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here, almost did, almost went on a rant, but I think the rant's in the next note. 
save that for just a minute. Be a gracious guest. Look down to verse 15. Why, do we, why are we a gracious guest? Because for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. The goal here, the reason we're gracious guests on this earth, the reason we submit to the authorities in a respectful way, whether we like them or not, whether they believe the way we believe or not. I mean, if you want an example of this, you can go back and read the story of, you know, read Daniel and find out how you can uh, maybe disobey the law but still honor the king at the same time. We won't get into, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. We do all of this to keep the goal in mind, and the goal is to do the will of God. Because when we do the will of God, as Peter says, it silences the foolish men, silences the foolish people. Because then when people go to bash the church and they go to bash Christians, then there's other people over here looking and saying, wait a minute, these are the nicest people I've ever met. Wait, these are the most gracious people I've ever met. Do you know what they do for people? Do you know how they help the poor? Do you know how they help the sick? Do you know how they help the widows and orphans or whoever else? Do you know what these people do? These are some of the most gracious guests the world has ever known. And it completely silences the foolish people who try to talk bad about the children of God, about the people of God. And so every word we speak, everything we say, everything we post on Facebook, here comes the rant, everything we like, everything we share on any social media platform, any photo we post, any video we post, needs to keep the end goal in mind. Does what I'm doing, does it accomplish the will of God for my life, for other people's lives? The will of God is first and foremost that people come to know him, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Is what I'm about to say on Facebook or what I'm about to repost, oh, this is a funny Funny, and there may be nothing wrong with this, but you look up there and what's the title of that page it came from? And what else is on that page that people might click and see? I've seen some stuff lately from church members that I'm just about ashamed of. They're through all, all this election cycle. We need to stop and think about what we're putting out there and need to remember to keep the end goal in mind. And the end goal is to do the will of God, to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And in essence, as we do the will of God, silence the foolish men who are in the world. Because if you've watched the news lately, there's a lot of them. And we come to our last point. The times we're most likely to slip up are the times when we forget the goal. We're most likely to slip up when we forget about the goal. And so we've got to keep our priorities straight. In verse 17, he says, honor all people. 
Let me read that again. Honor all people. Not the people we like. Not the people we agree with politically. Not the people who are most like us, who look like us, who have the same skin tone as us. You know, not, not, all people doesn't leave out anybody. We treat every single person we come in contact with, to, with, with dignity and respect. They might cuss you like a dog and you treat them with dignity and respect. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, the church, those within the body of Christ. Fear God. Honor the king. You know, I think there's a reason why those last two are in that order. Fear God. Honor the king. To fear God is to, to respect God. To hold God in a position of reverence. And you know, if we do, do that, what did we talk about this morning? God put every person who is in authority in that position. He alone gives them the authority. They have, they have no authority outside of him. And so if God's giving them authority, don't you think he expects us to submit to it? And so if we hold him in a place of reverence like we should, the highest place of reverence, that reverent fear, we're going to respect what he puts in place. Fear God. Honor the king. We honor the king or the president because we fear the Lord. It's important to remember the verb structure of this, and it doesn't show as much as our English translations. But see, if we were reading this in the original language, we would understand that it says, keep honoring all people and never stop. Keep loving the brotherhood, the church, and never stop. Keep fearing the Lord and never stop. And keep honoring the king and never stop. It doesn't say honor the king, honor those in authority if they align with you politically, if they align with you in this way. It just says honor the king and never stop. So as we move forward in what often feels like a dark and, and uncertain time, let's remember to keep everything in context. This world is not our home. We're just to passing through. We need to be gracious guests while we're here. We need to treat everybody with respect. And we need to go around acting the way our Father has taught us to act. We need to keep the goal in mind and live in such a way that points people to Jesus. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That means in order to keep the end goal in mind, we've got to do something, not just sit on the sidelines. And we've got to keep our priorities straight. Honor the king because we first fear God. Is there anything before we dismiss? Not we'll stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.